Welcome to the Glenn Mercer Show, where we talk all things vegan. If you're not already vegan, no worries, we'll get you there. If you are, tune in for health advice, information on climate change, and all the damage done by our most destructive industry, animal agriculture. We'll also talk cooking, theater, film, and culture. My two reasons for starting this podcast, to entertain, to inform, and to make people vegan. Oh, that's three. Shit. Hello and welcome to the Glenn Mercer Show. My guest today is Mark Sirkvenik. He is, you may not be surprised, a chef. <laughs> he is the chef of VegJauntsAndJourneys.com, where tours go around to beautiful places inside America and beyond, and they eat healthy food. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Glenn. It's great to be here with you today. All right. Well, you're you're looking the role. I yeah, must... well, I try. I clean up pretty well, you know. Yeah, you you look like a chef. You've got it going. Now, tell us your story. You became vegan how many years ago? So it's been a really long journey for me, Glenn. Um, my wife and I actually uh, started as vegetarians back in uh, 1994, and um we uh, we were doing pretty well, of course, much younger than I'm going to be 62 here in December. But uh, over the course of time, um, the weight kept going up and the blood pressure and cholesterol and uh, mobility and all those kind of good things that that affect uh, the vast majority of, of Americans as we age. And when I uh, reached, oh, I think it was, let's see, it would have been 2018. So, uh, you know, five years ago, I was just about 50, 58 at the time. Um, we had lost a lot of people in our lives. So aunts and uncles and my parents and my wife's parents. And we really decided, you know, even though we were a vegetarian, truth be told, I was a pescatarian. And we were the types of vegetarians. We were junk food vegetarians. So we didn't really read labels or didn't pay attention to a whole lot of things. I ate cheese and dairy and all that kind of good stuff. but. Um, Really decided, though, in, in 2018, early 2018, that if we were going to have a healthy uh, rest of our lives, um, that we really needed to do something even more, um, more consistent and even more dramatic, if you will, uh, than just be a vegetarian. So that's when we went vegan and we actually went whole food plant based, which, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, is even a little bit different than being vegan. So 2018, whole food plant-based. And before we just got on, we were just talking about how much weight I've lost to date. So I've lost just about 45 pounds. I probably got about 10 more to get to my ideal weight. But uh, I'll be 62 in December and no no medication of any kind. And um, could, you know, uh, had much... you been taking medications before? I was, yeah. I was I was taking uh, blood pressure medicine and mm -hmm. uh, the doctor was really trying to push me out to do statins and and when she started talking to me about statins, that was that I think that was one of the many things that said that woke me up and said, you know what, I don't want to be on statins because all those side effects and um and I just really need to get my act together. So, now, did your cholesterol go down too? Yeah, my cholesterol, my total cholesterol is like um about 180. And uh, you know, all, all my other numbers are um are really good. My 
my uh, glucose level is like 75 and um, you know, it's uh, everything looks really, really great. Um, blood pressure runs around 120 over 70, 75, somewhere in there. That's we, fine. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So really healthy at this point, it, it, yeah. you know, at this point in my life. And you look good in that outfit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, um, never would have dreamed of, of, of being at this point uh, in my life being a, uh, a chef. Um, I'm also a licensed food for life instructor. I got licensed by PCRM in March of uh, 2020 and um, actually met my business partner. She was one of my uh, one of my, one of my students and uh, she has a vegan tour company, VegJohnsonJourneys.com, and she wanted to start some no oil tours. So um, I cook without oil, um, no processed sugars. We really just use date paste, um, occasionally use a little agave and some maple syrup and very, very limited amount of salt. And we even do accommodate no salt um, diets as well on our tours. So tell us about veg jaunts and journeys. Where, yeah. where, where what kind of trips, how many people go, where do you go? Sure, where do you sure. Eat? Yeah, yeah. So veg jaunts and journeys was actually started by Kim Giovacco and uh, Kim started the, the company in 2016. And she started them, uh, her company is really uh, international based tours, um, that, uh, for vegans. And, uh, she would set these tours up in restaurants, uh, vegan restaurants throughout, throughout Europe. And, uh, shortly after she got started a couple of years after she started getting requests for no oil tours. As most of you may know, you go to a vegan restaurant doesn't necessarily mean that the food is healthy. Yeah, there's not uh, animal products per se, so there won't be dairy or any meat or, or fish, but they do typically cook with oil. Uh, in fact, we have a restaurant here in Chicago that's really known for its diner food, and um, I mean, it's saturated in, in, in oil, even though it is all vegan food. But she started getting requests for no oil tours, and um, she was actually a student of mine during COVID. She's in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm outside of Chicago, just south of Chicago. And she was on a, on a class that I had. It was a weight loss class. I call it no calorie counting weight loss. Weight, weight loss. And I started that in, uh, that was in January of 21. And uh, it's kind of a popular time of the year, of course, for people to, to not, uh, to really try to start losing weight and really watching their, you know, really trying to live their new year's resolution. And so it was a really good time to run those types of classes. But she was a student of mine. And after one class, she said, can we spend a few minutes talking after class? And I'm like, sure. And, and she kind of laid out this proposal that I'm looking for a chef. I'm looking for uh, to, to run some no oil tours in the United States. And what do you think? Are you interested? And uh, one thing led to another. And we did our first tour in uh, Charleston, South Carolina last, um, let's see, that would have been last uh, April. And then our second one was in Asheville. Uh, North Carolina in um, June of last year. Well, uh, that was convenient for Kim. Asheville, it was. It was. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the reasons we did them was uh, on the East Coast there, so she could, you know, have a easy jaunt, if you will, to to those locations and um, knew, knew those locations, and they were kind of a test drive, quite frankly, how popular these these tours would be and how we would work together because we had not met in person 
And quite frankly, she didn't even taste any of my food <laughs> until uh, until the first tour. So, so how did she like your food? Well, it's funny. Funny you should ask that because her family, her her parents were both in the restaurant industry for another number of years. They're in their uh, late eighties, early nineties. And uh, when her mother asked, "Well, what do you think of this food?" she said, "I've never tasted it before." She said, well, "What do you mean? You hired this guy to cook uh, <laughs> on one of your on one of your uh, one of your trips, and you've never tasted his food?" No, but you know he's a really good guy, and he seems to really know what he's doing. And the food that I've made, the recipes taste really good. And um, so, oh, you yeah. should have served her some really bad food for yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. I should have brought like some fish no <laughs> or something like that, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, she liked the food, and our guests do, and our guests do too. And um, if it's any kind of testament to what people think, um, about a third of our of our customers now um, for our tours this year, and then even booked into next year, are repeat customers of ours already. Okay. So um, I think it's a really good testament. People like the food, uh, like the tours, and uh, uh, I just really have it. So have a is Kim the tour guide? Yeah, so Kim Kim is actually the tour operator. Um, so she, her background is really travel logistics and planning, and she's just got a heck of an eye for locations and um, and venues and so forth. And then myself, and then my wife Lori, who acts uh, as our sous chef, and uh, so Lori and I do all the cooking. I also do some of the driving and transportation of people. Um, they are very small tours. Uh, 10, 12 people at the most. Um, so uh, lots of flexibility, um, uh, uh, lots of opportunities to get to know people and, on, on these tours. So it's not like you're in this one of these big, huge buses getting carted around. Um, we basically have minivans or those small passenger vans, you know, 12, 14 people um, and get, get folks uh, around the various locations. And, and how does your wife do as a sous chef? Is she good? She's, yeah, she's excellent. So her background, she was a uh, medical technician. I, I ask because you, yeah, you want you want to be a. <laughs> if you're ever, you know, I'm not saying that your wife isn't good, but I'm just saying that I'm available. Yeah, if, yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, I I, I think you're going to have a heck of a competition after 37 years of marriage. You know, we kind of know how to work with each other, and you know, I kind of uh, hate it when there's always this inside hiring. You know. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not. It isn't fair. <laughs> No, it isn't really fair. Yeah. So, um, uh, do you normally uh, cook, uh, prepare not only three meals a day? Are there desserts? What do you? Yeah. You so, so um, a couple of things. So this year and going forward, we've really kind of looked at our niche being the the locations that are. Um, around national parks, um, both in the United States and uh, internationally. So, for example, this year, our first tour was in Zion, the Zion National Park. We stayed in Utah. Our second tour was in Rocky Mountain National Park. And then in a, in a couple, oh, actually, about a month from today, actually, our, our, our last Noel tour of this year starts in uh, Maine. We'll be outside of Acadia and kind of around that area of Maine. But with all of our meals, um, with, with, with all of our menus, I should say, there's uh, three meals, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then we typically have a snack. Um, again, all the meals are, are uh, uh, low fat, uh, whole food, plant-based, no oil, limited salt, and no processed sugars. 
Um, and what we do, we plan menus that are that are regionally based. So, for example, Maine's a great example that we're going to do things like uh, vegan crab case or clam chowder. And those of you that are familiar with some of the cuisine in, in uh, Maine, there's the things called lobster rolls, right? But we're we, but we're making a lobster bowl, so it's all. Um, uh, and what do, what do you use for the fake lobster? For the fake lobster, so fake lobster is really a combination of um, of uh, hearts of palm. I thought and, you were going to say hearts yep, of palm and, and chickpeas, and uh, then we do our own vegan mayo and panko breadcrumbs. And I got to tell you, the texture. Uh, the aroma, because we also use dulce, dulce flakes, um, which is essentially seaweed. So it gives that kind of ocean aroma, if you will, yeah. to the uh, to the uh, to the crab cakes. And they're just wonderful. We make a nice remoulade sauce, which is kind of almost a, you know, kind of a uh, analogy would be like a thousand island dressing, but even better. And you put that on the top and it's, it's just beautiful. And then we're also going to try to do some, if I can get some good trumpet mushrooms in Maine, we're going to do um, uh, mushroom scallops. So trumpet mushrooms are um, kind of the big, tall mushrooms with a nice big umbrella top. And then the stalk is relatively thick. If you can get really nice trumpet mushrooms, um, we'll, uh, we'll cut those about half inch thick, uh, boil them in a broth, and then saute them in a, in a pan with a little white wine. Of course, you're cooking the, oh. you're cooking the alcohol off, but then it gets that nice flavor. So so we, we try to do regional dishes like that, that um, you would typically experience if you weren't a vegan or weren't whole food plant-based in those, uh, in the various areas. See, what people don't realize when they eat real lobster is they may be contributing to killing whales. Is that right? I did not know that. Well, the, the, the lobster, uh, what do they call themselves? Lobster trappers? Trappers, they Put yeah. these traps at the bottom of the ocean and a, uh, a line goes up to a buoy on the ocean surface. And the whales sometimes hit those ropes, mm. and get trapped. And um, there was a story of a, uh, a lobster uh, trapper, I put this in food as climate, who, um, who got swallowed whole by a right whale. Wow. And he was swallowed whole for about, I don't know, 10 seconds or so. And then the whale released him. Just like Jonah in the Bible, yes. right? He was <laughs> released. And I don't know if he's still in that business, but I hope not. I hope he learned something from the experience. Right. Well, you know, and and, and the, the other thing that people don't realize about, you know, seafood and lobster, um, trout, um, quote unquote, the healthy fish like salmon. I mean, they're, they're still all living in the ocean. Um, we know runoff from uh, crops and, um, and uh, you know, uh, agriculture goes right into the ocean. And, and where, where are all those toxins typically uh, saved? It's in the fat. And when you're eating that fatty fish, um, you know, the amount of toxins that people take in. So you think it's a healthy, healthier food or a healthy uh, fish, but uh, there's no yeah. such thing really as, yeah. as, a, as a healthy fish, unfortunately. Now, you, Mark, you contributed some recipes to my book, Food is Climate. 
One of them was Uncle Mark's poppy seed cake. <laughs> do you ever do you ever uh, prepare Uncle Mark's poppy seed cake on the Veg Johnson Journeys tours? I I I have not done that one. You I, haven't I, gotten a request to... for it. I have not had <laughs> a request. But Glenn, if you come on on a tour, mm-hmm. we'll make sure we make Uncle Mark's poppy seed cake. All so, right. Yeah, there's a and funny story behind that. I think I, I what's talked the about story. That. Well, I talk about that in the book. So my 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 dear Aunt Marie, she was actually a, a cousin, um, like you know, one of those cousins twice removed. She was my mother's my mother's first cousin's wife. So whatever that would make her to me. I don't okay. <laughs> I don't know. But the a stranger, original, I think. A stranger, yeah, yeah. But Aunt Marie was one of these dear souls. She'd always have my wife, my myself and my my parents over for Thanksgiving, and they were kind of like our extended family. But the original recipe that I found um, that my Aunt Marie wrote was uh, was in uh, November of 1961 and had mailed it to my mother. And uh, mind you, I was born in December of 1961. So um, and it was always one of those recipes that I remember growing up and having as a kid. But the original recipe has uses sour cream and butter and you cream sugar and butter together and and sour cream makes this really moist texture. So I worked kind of hard at really making it vegan. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, uh, to get that rise out of the cake, I, I use um, yeast and uh, and then, of course, uh, plant-based milk and so forth. But uh, it's 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 pretty good. So it's a testament. It's a tribute, if you will, to my uh, to my Aunt Marie, who's been gone a n- number of years, who died, by the way, of pancreatic cancer. Hmm. Um, I don't think she was in her early fifties when she died of pink. Oh, that's uh, yeah. So you have some kitchen hacks for us. Is that I do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, Glenn, when you and I were kind of talking about, you know, demonstrating what, what I could do to, to, when I, when I come on your show, I thought, you know, um, people, a couple of things about, about being whole food plant-based. First of all, we are the exception. Um, you know, there are very few of us in, in the world. There's, 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 uh, I, I've heard statistics anywhere between three to 7% of, of the population is vegan, but you know, how, what's that percentage of whole food plant-based? Um, so if anybody, if, if your viewers, listeners out there are whole food plant-based, they know how difficult it is if you're really trying to stay away from oil, how it is to eat out, you know, yeah. we find restaurants all the time where we can really press people to eat out. Um, to uh, to make um, uh, no oil um, dishes, but they don't always taste really good and and so forth. So what I tell all my students is, you have to learn how to cook. You've got to be okay with cooking. Um, and uh, a lot of times people just are like, well, I spend so much time in the in the kitchen, I don't have that kind of time. So I came up with some kitchen hacks. I'm gonna. I'd like to talk. Uh, I've got ten of them, and uh, some of them you may, you may do already, but. Um, uh, yeah, so um, so should I just go ahead and start? Just go ahead, and then I will vote for the best kitchen hack. <laughs> so uh, they kind of they kind of build on each other a little bit. Okay. So my first one is, do you know what this is, Glenn? Yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah. That is a uh, um. That is a yeah. That's a sunning. Uh, sunning, device. yeah. You get a nice tan, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? 
Yeah, it's a bench scraper. So it's a bench scraper. So bench um, scraper. Bench scraper. Yeah. So so you get food off benches. You get food off 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 your workbench. So um so what you do is as you're as you are um cutting or what have you, and I'll demonstrate this. I'm going to tilt my camera here in a little bit, but um this helps you kind of lift the food quickly off the uh, surface that that you're cooking on, off your cutting board or what have you. And then you could just drop it right into your uh, pan. So this this bench scraper is one yeah. of the first tools I bought when I embarked upon this uh, this uh, whole food plant based lifestyle, and just happened to be one of the first things I bought. And I I really believe it's a time saver, and you can use this for many, very many different things. I don't know if you can see on this, but there's also uh, kind of a little little ruler on this as yeah. well. So if you're trying to cut things to size, that's also on um, that that's also available here. But a bench scraper, I really, in fact, this is one of the tools that I pack when I go on tour. Um, and this will be this has gone um, all over the country so far with me. Uh, one of my essential tool tools, just like a carpenter would use a hammer, uh, a chef uses a bench scraper. So I strongly encourage you to pick it a bench scraper. Some of you may be familiar with a um with a with a version of it and this is kind of a another type of version this is also a bowl scraper so if you're if you're baking and you want to clean your bowl out really well uh you would use that okay. but this is also this is a this is another version of a bench scraper so all right um, so that's one thing the second thing uh, people often ask well um especially new new people to this lifestyle to a vegan is what kind of tools do i need is it my my thing, you know, event initially is just, just keep it simple, keep it really simple. So the two things that I always tell people to to make sure you have is a nice chef knife and a paring knife. Okay. So uh, this chef knife is actually these these two knives are about thirty seven years old. We got these when uh, my wife and I got married for a wedding present uh, for a wedding shower gift. Um, and uh, they're really good knives. I still get them sharpened. And this one's uh, it's probably getting due for a new one. I, I don't know if you could tell. It's a little thin, so it kind of lost some of the metal after sharpening all those years. But I get these professionally sharpened um, at least once a year. Um, so okay. you want to have two really, really good uh, knives. And uh, you want to keep these sharp all the time, too. And, uh, Glenn, do you know what this is? This is not to kill a, uh, a vampire or anything, but... It's a, uh, that is a kitchen screwdriver. Kitchen screwdriver. It's a honing. It's a honing blade. So honing so, blade. Honing. Yeah. Now, what do so, you use a honing blade for? So every time you uh, you cook with a knife, um, you're going to damage the the edge of it. So um, to keep it sharp and to knock some of those little damages off are called burrs. You want to hone your knives after after you use them. So for example, if you make a meal, you wash your blade, then you're gonna put it back in your in your block there um, and store it. Before you use it the next time then, get ready to use it, you wanna hone your blade. So you wanna knock off those little burrs, keeps your knife super sharp and just helps with the overall cutting experience. So, so how do you do that? So what you wanna do is you wanna take, um, you know, you, you probably have seen some professional chefs do this whole thing where they go back and forth and go really fast and it looks really fancy. Um, it's a really good show, I think. So uh, what I tell you, what I teach my students is what you want to do is you want to take your honing 
you want to take your honing blade um, and keep it perpendicular to your worktop, take your knife and put it um, against the side of the honing blade and just tilt it out about, oh, I would say maybe a quarter to a half inch and then slide your slide your blade down, slide it down. And what you're trying to do again is just knocking those uh, those burrs off of the off the knife and you just kind of take it and slide it down and drag it down. See that? Maybe about three times each side and that's it. That's all it takes. And the same with your little paring knife, right? You want to take it, you want to just drag it down. As you drag it down, you're kind of pulling it back. So drag it down and then pull it back. See like that? Drag it down and pull mm -hmm. it back. Drag it down and pull it back. So um and at the same time, I think you're sharpening your honing blade. Well, what you I don't know if you're sharpening it, um, uh, but what you're doing is uh, you're, you're knocking those burrs off. Uh, yeah. This honing blade actually, um, as I'm looking at it now, uh, a good honing blade, you probably, some, of, some of your viewers and listeners probably have these sitting in their block at home at their, you know, their, uh, their knife block at home or in their drawer and don't know what it is. But if you look at one that you haven't used very much, it's almost like a... Um, like a file feels like a rasp on it. Right. This one's again 37 years old. It's kind of worn down. Um, Everything you have is 37 years old. Do you have you anything know, that you didn't get when you get got got married? This. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's the whole point. When I'm you know to when I teach students that are new to this whole cooking and vegan stuff, use the things that you have in your house. All if, right. if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. If it, you know. Uh, if you want to, um, if it's if it's working, keep using it. So what uh, else do you have? So so the next one is um, let's get let's get a little bit into uh, garlic and uh, food. You have some thirty-seven year old garlic in the house? Uh, no, it's brand new garlic. In fact, okay. I just got it today. So I'm going to tilt my camera down a little bit. And uh, so uh, garlic. So you you always want to use the freshest ingredients. And um, how much fresher can you get than a than a fresh garlic, right? right. Not 37 years old. It's a, <laughs> I just got it this morning, in fact, at the grocery stores. But um, how do you quickly peel this thing, right? Well, I've had I've had students tell me, you know, they'll sit in front of the TV and watch their favorite sitcom and sit and try to pull this thing apart. Now I've got pretty good sized mitts, right? I mean, right. I, I use extra large gloves, for example. And even for me to get in here and kind of pull it apart is you know can be a bit of a challenge i'm going to i want to show you how easy this is you can do one of about three different ways you can put, you can take it and put it in the palm of your hand and just, just press down like this right uh -huh. right and then you start popping it popping it apart so so the problem is like that that that's not barely coming apart the other thing you can do is you can take your knife like this and just give it a good whack like that and then and then it just starts kind of popping apart the other thing that our trusty handy dandy bench scraper can do is you could take it and use it kind of as a as a um, buffer between your hand and the uh, the garlic, and just go ahead and whack whack it like that, and then it starts busting the garlic cloves apart. All right, so now you get all these neat little garlic cloves, and they they literally want to start jumping out of their skin here in a good way. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take, I'm going to take a couple of those garlic and, uh, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut, see this little root end here, this little root end. Um, you just want to cut that little root end off, right? So you're going to take one, 
Now you yeah. use the big knife for that. Right? I, I'm going to use the big knife. I, I tend to use the big knife for, for you know, the majority of my cutting, uh, my 37-year-old big knife. And, uh, and, then, and then all you do is you can, do, you can do this one of two ways. You could take the, the side of your knife again and just whack it. And then look at look at this. It just kind of jumps right out of jumps right out of the skin like that. See that? And uh, mm -hmm. if you have, you know, there's like there's like nothing really left. Maybe there's just a little piece. So you just kind of drop that out. I'm gonna take another one here and just kind of show it. One, let's hit it. And and what you're also doing when when you're when you're um, peeling the garlic like this, and if you can see it, there's some there's some essential oils that are starting to come out of the garlic. Um, the other thing you could do is use your handy dandy bench scraper again and just hit the side of it like that. And then it uh, just kind of pops right out of the skin. So what you've now done is you've not only released it from the skin blend, but you now have um, begun to crush the garlic and you're gonna save yourself, um, you're gonna save yourself some time. And all, all you're gonna do is now just kind of take it. Oh, and by the way, if you're gonna use this uh, type of, um, a chef's knife, use it the right way. Don't bang it like this. You hear, you know, that sounds really good like on TV, right? That's not the way this knife is supposed to be used. Two things. One is you're not the, the, you're, you're not having the knife work for it, work for you. You're working against it. And second, if you're banging it like that, you're gonna start causing damage to this to this end edge, and you're gonna have to get it sharpened more frequently. As so what do you do instead of banging it? So what what you do is you want to use this the, you want to use the um the shape of the blade and work with it so you want to let it rock like that see that see how mm. i'm letting it rock so you want right. it to rock like that and um and that's all you do right okay. so now i've got some nice minced garlic um and and away you go you okay. can add that to your pan your pan all right now what's the what's the next hack the next hack is our friend the onion. Ah, All right. Now, how do you prepare an onion without needing to cry? Oh, that's an easy one. Let me let me show you how good this bench scraper is. Watch this too, right? Yeah. And you got. Oh make... man, that was fast. Isn't that amazing? And yeah. you got to make that sound too. When you do. <laughs> okay. All right. So what you want to do with an onion? A couple of things. You always want to cut it pole to pole. Right. So when we're going to start preparing this onion, we're going to cut it pole to pole. Keep your fingers out of, out of the way. Right. We don't want any. Uh, we don't want any of our flesh in there. So you're going to cut it pole to pole. And if you don't cut, don't cut that root end. If you cut that root end, that's what releases the gases. And I'm I'm very very susceptible to it. And uh, I mean, I'll start tearing up right away. Um, I'm a pretty sentimental guy to begin with, but you right. don't want to be in a sentimental when I'm when I'm making your um, when I'm making your dinner. So then all I do is I just go ahead and, and peel off a, uh, you know, uh, probably a layer or two of this onion really quickly here. And then um, and then what you do, nature has done a really interesting thing here. Never cut that root end again, because that's what's going to make you cry. But nature has done this beautiful thing is it's already created some, some layers and some cuts in it itself. So what you want to mm -hmm. do is you want to go with the cuts, right? So... Um, essentially what you'll do is you'll take that onion and then go uh, kind of perpendicular, I guess you would say, to that root end. Don't cut into the root end, right? So the root end is what makes you cry if you the cut root, it? The root end is what makes you cry, yeah. So if you, if you start cutting... Why, there, why is end, that? Um, you know, that, that, that's where the plant, uh, the, 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 uh, 
the uh, uh, onion, if you will, is connected to the plant and it gets all its nutrients in there. So that that's where it's going to be the most, um, all, all, all those nutrients and everything. So you're actually cutting into all those, uh, all, all those, all that nutrients, the liquid that's in there. And then um, it, but you it, don't cook with yet. that thing in it. Do you? you don't cook with it either. Right. So what do you all do? I've done so far is I've cut up to that root end and um, I've cut now um, kind of perpendicular, if you will, to the root end. And now what I now what I've done is because I've because I've made those cuts. Remember, nature has put these nice nice cuts in it initially. Now I've gone kind of perpendicular to the to the to the root. Now what I'm going to do is go um, parallel to my worktop. Keep your hand out of the way, and uh, and just make make a couple of cuts like that. So now you're going parallel. So now I've already got I've got the cuts going kind of perpendicular to the root. I've got the cuts now that I've made parallel to the bench and nature's made some cuts by themselves. So now all I have to do is work with my, with my chef knife and make some really nice dices. And, um, and, and there, and there we have some diced onions. And so the root never gets removed. Now, yeah. So what I end up doing with the root Glenn is I might even just like cut it like that. And then th this goes into my compost. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so there's, so there's our onions. My next little hack is how do you peel this little guy? Ah, that's always a tough one. Ginger. That's yeah. The, uh, the, the ginger is always a tough one. So um, what I, what I like to do is I just take, um, take a, spoon. a, take a spoon and just peel the, is that a regular spoon or is that serrated? So this is, this is actually a um, garlic spoon uh, and garlic spoon, a uh, grapefruit spoon. Grapefruit, little, yeah, little serrated edges. You don't need to use it. I like using this one because it makes it a little easier. You can use just a regular teaspoon if you don't have one of these fancy uh, grapefruit spoons with the little serrated edge. But the um, this works just as well. You see, now I'm just going to peel um, peel my garlic, peel my uh, uh, ginger. And oh, by the way, uh, this ginger, I, I freeze my ginger, so we cut we cut it up into little knobs like that and freeze it. Uh -huh. And uh, when I need it, I take it out about a half hour before I need to use it and just go ahead and um, and let it thaw out. So now I've got this all nicely, nicely peeled. And um, all I need to do now is just go ahead and, and dice this up really, uh, really nicely. And uh, I like I like the flavor of ginger. Um, I also um, so I like to use more and I, I, I also I'm not a big stickler and cutting things up super fine. Um, but uh, so it's really kind of your preference on how how fine you want to cut that. But there's there's our there's our ginger. That looks like a delicious meal of garlic, onion, and ginger. And ginger. Oh, and we've got one more thing to add here. Okay. And this is my next hack and how Red pepper. To, how to do a pepper, right? How to easily uh, cut up a pepper. So again, nature's done a nice job already. You know, if we just work with Mother Nature, um, uh, Mother Nature can really help us uh, prepare food relatively quickly. So um, you can do this with any any type of pepper like this: red, green, yellow, orange, whatever. So what you want to do with this is you take the top off, you take the bottom off, and then all you do is you cut it. Like that, and then 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 it op it splays open, and then all you have to do is just kind of fillet those uh, 
those bitter white ribs out of it, right? And then um, just go ahead and take, uh, you've, you've already got this nice kind of slab, if you will, of, uh, of a red pepper. And uh, now I'm just gonna make some juliennes out of this. Okay. I'm gonna do this up really quick. See how quick this goes? Yeah. And then, um, then what you want to do, you know, of course, you're always going to keep those fingers tucked under, and then you just take them kind of like a like a deck of cards, get them all even, and then flip them, flip them around like this. And now all I'm going to do is take take all my julienne strips and just cut them down. And remember, see how I'm using my knife, my chef's knife. Yeah. I'm just allowing the knife to do all the work. And um, so I'm going to, I'll just. I'll do that much. And then if we get some big pieces in, we'll just go ahead and and, and chop those up. And then uh, for these guys, for the tops and the bottoms, all we have to do is go ahead and cut, cut that, like that. And then we'll cut those guys down. And now we've got some really nice diced, uh, diced red pepper. So um, really quick, really easy. Um, you know, you have really little waste. I mean, I could keep cutting that up, but you see, the only the only waste we had really was that inside and the bitter ribs. And again, this is going to go right. into your into your compost. All right. So my next hack, I'm going to take it over here and get Glenn. Guess how old this pan is? Thirty-seven year old pan, I'd say. It is. It's a thirty-seven year old Faberware pan. So yeah, uh, stainless steel. Um, I really like to use this one for a couple of reasons. One is um, I'm able to do things on camera like this. And the second thing is it again, proves my point that use those things that you have in your kitchen right. um, that will help uh, that, that you already have. And you don't need to necessarily go out and buy new, uh, right. new appliances. Now, is that, a, is that a measuring cup next to the pan? This is a measuring cup. And we're going to talk is about it 37 years old. No, this is probably about 10 years old. So, oh. <laughs> but I do have a 37 year old niece. So, you know, okay. there's, a, there's a theme here, I think, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I'm going to let this get nice and nice and hot and yeah. uh, just kind of, you know, you can do this. This is electric. You can do the same on gas. And what we're going to do is we're going to saute now some these these onions. Um, I'm going to stick particularly with the onions here get my garlic out of the way here. I'm gonna saute these in a dry hot pan. So you don't wanna put any any oil in this pan. You just wanna, you wanna leave it nice and nice and dry and hot because what you wanna do is you wanna start caramelizing the, uh, the onions. So what you do is we're gonna take our little bent scraper and see I've got all my, all my onions on that. And that we're gonna drop it good. right in the middle of our pan there. And don't be afraid that it's going to burn or anything like this. I've got this up on like 400 degrees. So um, we're just going to keep moving this around. And for those of you that maybe have not uh, sauteed without uh, oil, um, this may be the first time you're seeing it. You're wondering, well, how is this not going to stick? Well, you know, a couple of things. You just want to keep this moving around. And I'm just going to turn it down just a little touch. You kind of hear it sizzling. So what the onions are doing now is they, they're releasing uh, their uh, their natural juices, their water and so forth, and um, we're starting to caramelize them. So we're starting to release some of the 
some of the natural sugars that are in these onions. And uh, if you start seeing brown bits like this, eat really easy. We go ahead and release it in a little bit of water. And, uh, and we've released all those brown bits. And see, our 37-year-old pan, nothing sticks to that. And you can see how it's starting to brown already, right? Mm -hmm. How quickly that is. I'm going to put my garlic in there. I'm going to throw a little bit of garlic that we had sauteed. And this is actually a nice base. Uh, you know, if, if you wanted to do some other vegetables, you could throw this. But typically when you're cooking, you're going to be using, you know, onions, garlic, some peppers, or you might use onion, garlic, and uh, celery. Um, you know, kind of a, I'm a kind of a classic uh, mirepoix, uh, which is any kind of base to most of our soups and so forth. Um, and then we're just going to take it, we're going to take our bench scraper again. And that sound that we make is, whoop, right? Go ahead and throw that in How there. long did it take you to learn that sound? To learn that? Uh, I just practiced it this morning, actually. Okay. So, <laughs> and uh, we'll just keep that all kind of moving around here. Now, the question becomes, um, so you're just deglazing with water? Yeah. So I'm just releasing any of those, um, any of those bits with, uh, with water. You can deglaze with, uh, you know, if you wanted to use broth, if you wanted to use... Uh, uh, a red wine, uh, we could certainly be glazed with a, with a red wine. You're going to burn the alcohol off. So if you're concerned about that, but it would give a dip, just a different taste to that. And that's how easy it is to go ahead and uh, not only chop all your vegetables, prepare them, saute them in a pan, and then deglaze your pan with some, uh, with some water. And, and away you go. So those, those are my kitchen hacks. Those, those are 10 of them, actually. I've got I probably got, I think I, I'm up to about 35 that I teach people in a class on how to continue to reduce uh, your time in, in the kitchen. You've got 35 hacks. 35 hacks, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah, one of them, the other one that um, I talk a lot about is batch cooking. Um, so my wife and I, as much as we love to cook, um, I also don't want to spend every day cooking uh, when I'm at home because I've got a lot of other things going around. So we'll we'll typically uh, batch cook. We'll 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 make we'll we'll have and and this and this 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 diet really uh, lifestyle, if you will, um, bodes well for making uh, kind of beans and rice, and then combining those with other spices, you know, throughout the week to uh, to to morph them into other dishes. Or so, for example, today I'm going to be making uh, my clam chowder that. Uh, that we'll be making for a tour. I, I like to practice. Now, when you say clam chowder, just for the listeners, what what is the clam? The clam is uh, oyster mushrooms. Oyster now. mushrooms. Oyster okay. mushrooms. So, so really oyster that, chowder. Yeah, oyster chowder. Yeah, yeah. But the clam in in quotes, right? Right. In quotes. Um, but what we like to do is, uh, you know, I, I like to practice them. Um, I like to refine them, make sure that we're, we're, we're spot on before we, before we serve those to any of our guests. But we'll make it today. Um, we'll have it today. And then probably... So your, your wife will be helping? My wife will be helping me. So right. we'll make the soup today. And then we'll probably have a couple servings today. And then let's say Monday and then a couple servings on Wednesday. We made, uh, you know, yesterday we, we made a big salad and some beans. And, you know, we had some of that for lunch today. So... Don't be afraid to think about making two or three, you know, dishes 
And, you know, uh, maybe if there's the two of you or four of you that are eating that way and doubling that recipe and then eating it a couple of times uh, during the week. So batch cooking is a great way to save to save time in the kitchen. Yes, it is. Yeah. And just real quick, you can kind of see how these are these are cooking up really, really nicely now. So yeah. they're just about just about done. And we can throw throw some rice in there, some beans and we'll have a, we'll have a really, really delicious. See, that's dish. the thing about eating the way we eat is. It's really simple. Once you know how right. to construct a meal, that's right. Whether it's rice, whether it's millet, whether it's um, yeah. uh, another one of my favorite one is frika. You ever hear frika? what? What is frika? Frika is a. It's a grain. Um, it's a grain. It's a um, smoked grain. So it's got a. It's got a. It's got a, a faint smoky taste, aroma, taste and aroma to it um the uh apparently that, how do you spell this f-r-i-k-a f-r-e f-r-e-k-a-h i never heard of this yeah frika so what happened was um it was one of these things one of these grains that was discovered by accident you know probably a couple thousand years ago so uh, when the story goes uh, uh a village was um was attacked by a warring faction they burned the village down, but then all the grains were left in one of the uh, one of the storage facilities. Um, they went uh, to kind of go back and kind of clean things up after after the uh, the village was was attacked and burned, and they found the grain in there. And they were like, "Well, we don't want to waste this grain." So what they did is they they put it on uh, flat rocks and 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 beat them with um, with uh, palm fronds and released all the charred outsides. And then on the inside, you still have the grain. Um, so now there's a there's a there's a there's a formal process where they do that same thing where they smoke these grains, um, and then all you have to do is um, cook them cook it like rice, and it's got this really nice smoky, uh, chewy texture to it. So I would. And where where do you get frika? So frika, if you can go, you can get that at a Middle Eastern store. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if there's a Middle Eastern store where you where you live, or one of your favorite online retailers, you can get frika. Okay, yeah. well, I never had that. Yeah, try that. Yeah, should give it a shot. That's the beautiful thing about this about this lifestyle, this diet too, is you get exposed to so many different types of foods. I mean, I never heard of Frika before. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I became a professional chef and food for life instructor. Um, right. Well, you know, I never heard of Frika until I became a professional sous chef. There you go, and that's it. <laughs> so, so I'm 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 looking for a, a sous chef, perhaps for Tuscany in 2025. So I'm available. You're available, yeah. So that's going to be, it's yeah. a kind of. And I know how to use a bench press like nobody's business. You, you know how to use one of these things. Yeah, bench, bench. What bench, I said, press. Bench what scraper. Is, scraper. Bench, scraper. Scraper. Yeah, bench scraper, scraper. Scraper. Yeah. 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 yeah the yeah. bench press is what I do to stay. This, strong. Yeah, I noticed you do a lot of bench pressing. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm up to like 500 pounds or something is like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Is that metric or? Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what do you do as an exercise routine? Oh, my. Um, walking um, mm -hmm. and bike riding. Those are my two big things that I do. So this morning, in fact, before, before our show here, um, I, I went out and rode about 10 miles. I love the bike. This is the time of the year, of course, being in the Midwest, you can get out in the wintertime. I'll uh, go to a, I'll go to the gym. I also have a cross trainer in, in my house. So I'll do that in the wintertime. But my, my two big things are 
uh, walking and uh, and biking. And then I have these um, resistance bands and these other bands that just flip, flip over the back of a door. Um, so then you kind of using your own weight um, yeah. for resistance. So I like to run laps. I try to run like a hundred laps a day, which sounds wow. impressive, but they're laps around an area rug in my family room. All right. So I just run around my All area right. rug. Well, the problem is you probably got to get a new rug every couple of months. Yeah, but you know you could do like a hundred laps that way yeah. without <laughs> breaking a sweat. So it's good. There you go. <laughs> and uh, now, uh, you, your wife, you, 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 you say she is helpful as a sous chef, right? Oh yeah, yeah. She, yeah, okay. she's my sous chef. So I, the deal was, so this it was her idea, truth be told, that I'd become a food for life instructor. Okay. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, you know, 50, 58, you know, we were just becoming, we had just become a uh, whole food plant-based and I was kind of at that point in my life where I took some time off, took a sabbatical from the work world, was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And she came across the food for life instructor advertisement in uh, physicians committee response for responsible medicine or PCRMs magazine. And she said, she comes to me with a magazine and says, you got to do this. I said, what, what, do what? She said, you got to be a food for life instructor. You like to teach. I used to teach in corporate America and in healthcare. And you like to cook. We've, we've always cooked our entire lives. And we were kind of the geeks at 20 some years old. When we first, we were married at 24 and 25 respectively. And um, we were young kids, but we used to watch cooking shows back then. And we've always cooked for family and friends. And, and uh, she said, so you like to talk, you like to teach and you like to uh, cook. This is good. This is, this is what you should do. And, um, I didn't really want to do it at first, Glenn. It's just like, no, oh, man, it's just a lot of work. And you know. but then here, here I am, you know, fast forward three and a half years later, and not only do I teach people how to transition to this to this lifestyle through my through my own business, let's eat great food, but I also cook for folks on tours. And the average age of folks on our tours is like that mid fifty. Um, um, we have couples, a lot of singles. Um, we rent these huge houses, by the way, as the other thing I didn't mention, when we go to national parks like Zion and and uh, and uh, Rocky Mountain and and so forth, we rent these huge houses. They have big professional kitchens, um, like eight, 10,000 square feet. One of the houses that we had um, in Zion had a 10 person theater, uh, 10 person theater, theater. Yeah. Proper theater seats like when you go to uh -huh. with the recliners and everything uh -huh. and the surround sound and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of give, give you an idea of what these houses are like. They're beautiful vistas. We were in Rocky Mountain National Park. We were in uh, Grand Lake, which is the quieter side of Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, Estes Park is kind of where everybody goes. And then Grand Lake is where all the locals from Denver go. We were in Grand Lake on Shadow Mountain Lake. Um, so every morning guests would wake up and they're on, this, on the deck and the, and the lakes there in the mountains. And, and they have a wonderful, healthy breakfast um, uh, in the morning. So. Yeah. So by becoming a food for life instructor, that gave you the the ability to teach healthy ways of preparing food. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So as a food for life instructor, um, it's a pretty arduous process, actually. They only take about a third of the people that um, that apply and you have to send. How do they how do they uh, weed out those who, like you and me, are not professional chefs? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what they what they do is um, they uh, they're, they're looking for um, different skills. Right. So 
Uh, one of the things um, that they're looking for is a passion, is a passion to be able to uh, really talk about this topic. Another one is a comfortability uh, talking to people and in front of people and teaching. Um, and then also a plan, what you're gonna, what are you gonna do with that, with this license uh, once you, if, if you get accepted to the class and then uh, complete the complete the now at the, at the time that you became a food for life instructor you didn't know you were going to become a veg uh, johnson journey chef so I, what I, did I you had, say that your plan was my, my plan at the time was was really uh the main the main plan was to was to teach people here locally so i'm in the south southwest suburbs of chicago south south, south southwest suburbs of chicago was to teach people locally um, the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet, and then how to transition into a whole food plant-based uh, lifestyle. And you do that uh, through letseatgreat.com? Exactly right. Exactly right. I do that through letseatgreat.com. And um, I've got a list of classes there in my bio, and I've got all kind of all kind of research um, to, on the benefits of, of, of this diet on there. And then, um, yeah. And uh, so that that was my plan, and then to work with uh, local healthcare organizations because I worked for um, two major healthcare institutions here in Chicago, um, Loyola University Medical Center, and also Northwestern Medicine. Um, and I would use those, you know, those those contacts and that and those venues to, you know, really teach people and connect with physicians and and staff and so forth. And then the pandemic hit, right? Um, ah. It was. Um, I was uh, licensed in March, March 1st of 2000. Um, we were out in LA uh, for, the, for, the, for the classes and for the licensure process. And I heard about this thing called COVID and didn't know what it was. And uh, two weeks later, the whole world was different. But because of COVID, it couldn't do anything in person. So then all of us, you know, Food for Life instructors, the new, the new, the new folks that were recently licensed and then the folks that had been licensed, started doing this this work online and um and that continues to this day for me um when i'm not on um I'm not on tour I'll, i do uh, classes online both um, public classes and then i have groups that have asked um, me directly to, to do classes for them i've done a few classes in person here in uh, in my area as well um which is a lot of fun uh you know being able to be there with folks in person but I reach a really wide net. I mean, I've had people from all over the world attend classes, uh, New Zealand and uh, England and um, uh, Central America and uh, people from East to West Coast here uh, as well in the United States. Now, now are you doing any in-person classes? Um, so my first in-person class this year won't be until December. Um, it's actually going to be for a teen center. They asked me to come in and do oh, some nice. classes for the, for the uh, students that come after school and uh, teach them how to make we actually do some healthy uh, healthy desserts for uh, for the holidays so um yeah i've done i've done a couple classes like that the, but you know this the, the tour business has really taken a good chunk of my time because between about beginning of april through um almost to beginning of october it's planning it's um reaching out it's traveling it's um doing all, all that stuff related to the travel business that keeps me really busy between uh, you know April and the beginning of October. So mm -hmm. then I really have October to March to, to focus on some, some classes. And you know if you come to my website, sign up for a newsletter, uh, you know you'll, you'll get when those online classes are, are going to be held and, and so forth. So 
And I'm guessing you accommodate people on the tours who have to be gluten free or yep. have some allergy or yeah, whatever. yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate that. Yeah. So because we're a small group, we can be exceptionally flexible. So before um, people come on our tour, we send out a we send out a survey um, asking people, um, you know, do they have any allergies? Do they have any food that they just don't like? Right. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times we get people that just don't like. Uh, celery or don't like green peppers or for those those folks that have that one that, that gene that makes um, uh, cilantro taste like soap they don't want to eat they don't want to eat cilantro so we'll leave those out mm -hmm. um, somebody follows uh, a, a salt-free diet we, we we can accommodate gluten-free diets um, so we had we had a lady on our last tour that um, really wanted to avoid nightshades in particular nightshades like uh -huh. um, raw um, tomatoes, eggplants, uh, and onions. Um, so we, we, you know, we, we were able to accommodate right. those diets. That's then, a macrobiotic thing. It really, right. Avoiding nightshade right. vegetable. Right. I, she, I once lived in a group house, group vegetarian house in Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh -huh. And we, we were interviewing to try to get a new person to join the house. And there was a macrobiotic school nearby. Wow. So when we would interview people, I would get this question. Do you eat vegetables that grow at night? And the first time I heard that question, I just said, I don't know. You know, I, didn't, I never get up to look. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently they're against eating vegetables that grow at night. Now, here's my question. This is philosophical. This is a little deep. So you're going to have to take your time answering it. But what is night to a potato? That's that's a deep question, isn't it? Well, what is the, night to a potato? Especially because the, the, the potato lives underground. Yeah. However, it doesn't the, know what night is. However, the 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 green uh, leafy stalk is above uh -huh. ground, and it's going to be uh -huh. it's going to be converting you know, the light and chlorophyll and all that kind of good stuff. Um, so I suspect somehow that, you know, those nutrients obviously get to that potato. Um, so I don't know. It was very confusing. Well, you know, and the interesting thing about, about this, about this guest is it wasn't, it wasn't even a philosophical, I want to avoid, I don't want to avoid this or that because of whatever it was. If she ate raw tomatoes or ate onions, she physically felt sick. Yeah. You know, so um, and, we, you know, you have to be careful. Um, so far, our, our folks that have been requested gluten free is not that they had any type of um, severe reaction, um, anaphylactic shock or anything like that to um, to gluten. It's just that they felt bloated um, mm -hmm. when they when they ate gluten. And right. um, so so we respect that. Unfortunately, there's lots of options out there for gluten free pastas and gluten free breads. And of course, you know, instead of uh, oatmeal, even having gluten-free oats for oatmeal in the morning. Um, so there's lots of options. Um, All right. So thank you, Mark, for joining us. People pleasure, can find Mark. you at letseatgreat.com and at vegjohnsonjourneys.com. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see you again soon. Great. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Mark. This has been the Glenn Merzer Show, where everyone listening turns vegan. 
regains their health, and annoys their friends and relatives. Find us on YouTube at The Glenn Merzer Show and across all your major podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe.